0: Just um, uh, want to let you know that I I did indeed have a very nice vacation. And, uh, you know, one of the blessings, I suppose, of, you know, restrictions on travel. um, I mean, if I was to travel home to the UK, um, I'd have to not only prove maybe that I've had the vaccine, but even with a vaccine, I'd still need to provide a three days negative COVID test. Have to wear a mask all the way, of course, and then' being quarantined when, when I arrived, and then I'd after quarantine, I'd have to get back on the plane and come back here. So, so instead of that, I'm exploring this, this wonderful country. <clears throat> and uh, so I was up in Washington, uh, Mount St. Helens and Rainier National Park, even did some cycling in the national park there, gained 2,000 feet on my bike, you know? and uh, then up to Seattle. And uh, actually a passenger <clears throat> my, uh, uh, I had a very good passenger in my car It was the statue of the Sacred Heart Which is normally there uh, He was uh, in my my passenger seat A very, very good passenger indeed Because uh, I, took, I took it to um, a place there Just north of Seattle To a man who restores and paints So we're having some colour put on the statue And then after that is done Hopefully you'll like it, will get this one done and while in Seattle also I, um, I, I uh, took another ciborium uh, to, to Kalfa's there in Seattle uh, I'm not sure if I've shown you the one that I've already had restored I'll just show it to you This little one was uh, very tarnished and damaged and it was difficult to get the lid on and off and the cross was crooked and all the rest. So I sent it off to be restored and it's now beautifully gold plated. It's, it's um, um, sterling silver is the metal that this is made of, so well worth restoring. So it's gold plated now uh, outside and also uh, inside. Um, and the lid fits nicely, and you can see beautiful detailed engraving on it, which I never noticed before. Uh, so that cost you, parishioners something like 550 dollars to, uh, to restore. The, the, the bigger one, which I've sent, which I took, um, also has a cross which needs um, you know straightening out, and um, it's tarnished as well, um, and it's a bit bigger. Uh, st- st- sterling silver, base metal as well. Um, it probably cost around $100 more than that, just so you know how I'm spending your money. Well, it's not yours because you've given it to Jesus, haven't you? So it's not yours anymore, all right? Isn't that right? Yeah, it's not yours anymore. All right, great. But I'm spending Jesus' money on this kind of thing, okay? Which you've given to him, all right? So there you are. And then I went over to uh, Idaho, spent a few days on a farm there with some friends, and then down to Post Falls, Idaho, where I spent three nights with the Carmelites there in Post Falls, Idaho, a beautiful community, you know, who love priests, pray for us very much, and even though they already had mass in the morning uh, with their chaplain, Father Terror, who's a priest of the uh, Fraternity of St. Peter, um, they also assisted at my mass as well and sung beautifully. Uh, on the last morning, uh, my last morning there, Friday, I wrote them a little note left in the sacristy that um, uh, I didn't want mass to end. It was just so, so beautiful. Anyway, talking of the mass, we have uh, we enter today, this weekend, into five weeks. Of uh, the, the, on the Eucharist. The Gospel of Mark, which we're reading in this year B, is short. So it's not long enough to cover the whole liturgical year of ordinary time. So the Church inserts the gospel, the sixth chapter of John as a filler in a way, but also as a very useful reminder of the truth of the Holy Eucharist. In fact, we won't get all five weeks because this year because... Uh, August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption falls on one of those Sundays so it will be interrupted a little bit but this sixth chapter of St. John really is at the heart of uh, any apology for the Eucharist if you you do get into a discussion please no arguments but if you get into a discussion with the Protestant about the Eucharist or about Scripture don't take too long before you get to the sixth chapter of St. John as a discussion with them And find out how they understand this chapter of St. John. St. John tells us that the Jewish feast of Passover was near. A year later, the next Passover, our Lord would abrogate that Passover. He would replace it with the sacrifice of the cross and the sacrifice of the new and eternal covenant, which is the Holy Mass. The Passover is celebrated once a year. The Holy Mass is celebrated every day. We Christians do not celebrate Passover. We do not partake of seder meals, because they are no longer that's uh, been abrogated by, by our Lord. We, we read in the Gospel today uh, about how our Lord questions Philip to test him, Where can we buy enough food for this crowd to eat? That testing of Philip was to strengthen his faith, to let him see the impossibility of the task, and therefore to see the the, the greatness of this miracle. Uh, They they might see the miracle more clearly, and thus it would confirm their faith. That happens to us as well. Our faith is tested, and our faith becomes stronger uh, as a result of the test. And both Philip and Andrew would have known About that event that we read in the first reading from the book of Kings, about how Elisha worked the miracle in feeding 100 men with 20 loaves. So they might well have had in mind, oh, yeah, all those years ago, centuries ago, 20 loaves were enough to feed 100 men, thanks to a miracle. But 5,000 men, plus women and children, even on a miraculous scale, there would, there would have been need for uh, 50 times as many loaves. You would need 1,000 loaves in order to confect a miracle that could feed 5,000. But, as St. Josemaria Escriva writes in his book, The Way, whereas 2 plus 2 equals 4, 2 plus 2 plus God is an incalculable result. So we can't be too mathematical when it comes to miracles. We notice our Lord gave thanks when he, uh, before he distributed the loaves and the fish. And here we see a foreshadowing of the Mass. The very word giving thanks is the word Eucharist, the Greek word Eucharist. And in fact, in earlier accounts of for, for, uh, church documents and early, early liturgies, we see how the church, the priest would pray that these gifts placed on the altar and Eucharistized would be acceptable to God. By that Eucharistization there is the transformation of those gifts into the body and blood of our Lord. Jesus multiplied in his hands the five loaves. There's power in those hands of his. And he's given power into the hands as it were of The apostles and their successors and the priests who when they take humble bread and wine into their hands and say the prayer of thanksgiving that when they Eucharistize those gifts they become Christ's body and blood to feed uh, the multitude. We notice also, these are commentaries from early ecclesiastical authors, that our Lord afterwards told them, collect up the fragments, and they collected 12 baskets full. 12 baskets full of fragments that could not be consumed by the multitude, but were to be retained and treasured, as it were, by the apostles, who were to be the teachers of the word to the world. They were to be guardians of What's contained in those baskets? Guardians of the word, guardians of the sacraments, guardians of tradition, which is the very title of that motu proprio that came out two Fridays ago of Pope Francis, "Traditionis custodes. keepers, guardians of tradition, which I only found out about, obviously. A week ago on Friday when I was in a hotel room in Seattle I got a text from a priest friend of mine He said, I presume you've read this Don't know, so I clicked on it I had to sit down on my bed and read it (laughs) It It's a bit of a surprise that Friday morning But anyway But you see, those fragments are those deeper truths That the multitude cannot take in yet They were not able to take the fullness They had consumed what they could But these other fragments, these baskets, are entrusted to those capable of receiving them and teaching them to others, in this case, the apostles. And hopefully, you as well, because you are confirmed and deepening in your faith. However, what did the Twelve, with this basket, each with his basket load of tradition and the Word of God, then went to different parts, different countries, establishing churches... We know, for example, that St. Mark, who was not one of the first apostles, but was a disciple of St. Peter, went to Alexandria in Egypt and established the, the church there. The church which now is known as the Coptic Church, which claims St. Mark as its founder. And St. Peter was there as well. St. Thomas went off to Syria and India and established the church there. The Syro-Malabar uh, people there in, in India claim, call themselves Thomas Christians, because they claim that their liturgy and their church was founded by St. Thomas. St. Peter himself was in Antioch and then in Rome, and that's where we, uh, to whom we belong, the Roman Church. St. James the Less in Jerusalem, St. James the Great, whose feast it is today, is said to have gone to Spain and proclaimed the Gospel there, St. Andrew to Greece, St. John to Ephesus and Turkey, and so on. And as they went to different places, they established the church and the liturgies, which developed in different ways. Even though there was a unity, and there was a recognizable form to each one, they had a slight diversities in those forms. But they were all recognized as apostolic. They could trace their origin to an apostle. Anyone who went to those would recognize, yes, this is the Holy Eucharist. This is Divine Liturgy. This is the Holy Mass. And all of them contained a great prayer of thanksgiving, of praise of God, the Eucharistic prayer. In the Roman Church, the Latin Church, it is Eucharistic Prayer 1, which is the Roman Canon, which is of great antiquity. You can trace its origin back to the 2nd, 3rd, 4th centuries of the Church. And with that diversity, uh, and yet that unity, the diversity of rights, it's kind of providential that we have in our second reading today, St. Paul telling the Ephesians, bear with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace one body and one spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And those of you who have this daily Roman Missal, which I highly recommend, a beautiful treasury, great help to prepare for Mass and to follow the Mass and give thanks afterwards, as well as many other devotions, confession, etc., At the top of today's readings, if you've got this, you will have seen this quotation from the Catechism, Article 814. From the beginning this one church has been marked by a great diversity which comes from both the variety of God's gifts and the diversity of those who receive them. Within the unity of the people of God a multiplicity of peoples and cultures is gathered together. Among the church's members there are different gifts, offices, conditions and ways of life. Holding a rightful place in the communion of the church there are also particular churches that retain their own traditions. The great richness of such diversity is not opposed to the church's unity, yet sin and the burden of its consequences constantly threaten the gift of unity. And so the apostle has to exhort Christians to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is this diversity, and yet a unity. You know, that what is a correct approach to the liturgy? It's not preference my preference, your preference that's not an approach to liturgy at all the correct approach to liturgy is recognizing the miracle that it is in whatever legitimate form in which it's celebrated Archbishop Cordialione stressed this in his response to the Holy Father's motu proprio that whatever legitimate form the mass is celebrated in, there is a miracle taking place there and, and so we, we recognize it's something given to us and the Catholicity and unity of the church is expressed even with the diversity of forms true liturgy does not divide it is we who divide by rejecting true authentic liturgy we say I don't like this I don't like that I remember when I was a kid if I, my mother made great effort to prepare a meal and if I said I don't like it <laughs> you eat that son it's good for you and she was right mother knows best do you know that there are five even in the, in the east apart from our right the Latin church there are five distinct right traditions which are expressed in 23 different eastern churches you have the Byzantine tradition, which is traced back to St. James of Jerusalem. The Alexandrian tradition, which includes the Egyptians and the Ethiopians and the Copts that I just mentioned. The Antiochian tradition, which goes back to St. James in Jerusalem, which includes the Maronite, the Syrian Malankarese in, in India. The Chaldeans, uh, which also originates from Antioch, which includes the Syro-Malabar rite that I mentioned earlier in India. The Armenian tradition, which also has its roots in the Antiochian rite. And even with those five traditions, you've got 23 avar- avar- expressions of it. And this morning at St. Philip Benisi, uh, after Mass, people, some people said, visitors, they said, that was great, Father, because we're Greek-, we're Greek Catholic. You see? But they were with us at our Roman Mass and totally at home and in the west in the Latin Rite which is all of us unless any of you were descended from people from Eastern Europe possibly um, we have the Roman Rite we, the most antique most, uh, the one that enjoys the greatest antiquity of course is the Missal of 1962 which goes back to the one promulgated by Pope Pius V in 1570 which is simply a codification of all that was being celebrated since 5th, 6th century Go back to the Apostles almost. And then more recently we have the Ordinary Form of the Mass, which is what we're doing here today. Uh, A new form uh, promulgated by Pope Paul VI. And there's also the Anglican Use, which is uh, also new as well. But another rite that goes back to antiquity in the Roman rite in in the Latin church is the Serum rite from Salisbury in England then you have the Gallican rites which include the Ambrosian rite in Milan there's a rite for Braga in Portugal the Mozarabic rite in Spain principally celebrated in Toledo then you've got the religious orders, the Carthusians, the Carmelites the Dominicans, the Cistercians the Norbertines, all of their rites go back to antiquity and they're all catholic they're ours so in the Roman Catholic Church there's great diversity but unity as long as those rites are truly apostolic and really as long as they enjoy antiquity we cannot reject as Pope Benedict XVI said what was considered sacred in the past, what was sacred in the past it is still sacred now before he was Pope in his book Uh, Sort of the earth as Cardinal Ratzinger he had this to say a community is calling its being into question when it suddenly declares that what until now was its holiest and highest possession is strictly forbidden and when it makes the longing for it seem downright indecent those who long for the more traditional form of the mass are good people they are simply longing for what their forefathers had and which made many, many saints. Archbishop Sample has issued an initial response to Pope Francis' motu proprio, which is published in the bulletin for you to see. It came out also, the motu proprio came out while he was on vacation as well, and yet he had to put that out. Uh, He may be back from vacation by now, Uh, I'm not sure. So give him some time to think about it uh, and issue his, his norms as other bishops in the United States are doing so. So far, the vast majority expressing their solicitude for those who are attached to the traditional form of the Mass and assuring people um, that they will not be deprived of it. But uh, in the meantime, let each one of us uh, pray that we may recognize the great miracle that the Mass is, and that it's not about what we like, It's about whether this form of the liturgy is apostolic. As long as the form of the liturgy we're celebrating is apostolic, then it belongs to the one holy Catholic and apostolic Church.